You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Beginning with breaking details on the second stabbing incident in two days involving teenagers in Surrey. That's right. Global's Sarah McDonald is at Surrey RCMP headquarters right now with the latest on the attack that sent two teens to hospital. Sarah. Well, Chris, we just got an update from Surrey RCMP on this. They tell us there were three teenagers involved in today's altercation, the youngest of which just 15 years old. Tonight, two of those teenagers are in hospital. The third is now considered a person of interest. Now, we ha have obtained some surveillance footage of the moments immediately after this incident from one of the businesses in the parking lot of a strip mall where it all happened at the 14800 block of 108 Avenue. You can see a flurry of activity followed by what appears to be first responders attending to one of those boys that altercation happening just after 11 o'clock this morning, just a few blocks away from Guilford Park Secondary School. Police say they arrived on scene to find two teenage boys, 15 and 16 years old, with apparent stab wounds. They have been hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. This is the second violent altercation in this neighborhood involving teenagers in as many days. And while police are not confirming those three young people in this latest case are students at Guilford Park, as you might imagine, this incident is causing some concern among students and their parents. I have a 16 year old son who lives uh, right next door here. He goes to GP. So, uh, yeah, it's really concerning, especially when it's between two youths. Uh, they should be in school, not out stabbing each other. My son went here for five years, and, and I think it's a pretty good school. He never had a problem. Mm -hmm. And now she's been here, grade 12 now, five years, and never had a problem ever. So, it's a good school, I think. We do understand and, you know, the fear that may be generated when they hear a report of an incident like this. But we do know at this point our early indications are that these were people who were known to each other. Uh, in, we're investigating to see what the cause of this incident was. But it does seem to be an isolated incident uh, at this point, And uh, we haven't any information at this point that would indicate a larger risk to uh, the population. Now, as for that third uninjured teenager who is now considered a person of interest, police tell us they have identified him or her. They are waiting to speak with them. But because they are now potentially a young offender, they can't elaborate on things like identity or any potential charges they could be facing. Though, Chris, police do tell us all three teenagers involved in today's altercation are known to each other. All right, Sarah McDonald in Surrey. Thanks, Sarah. A frightening incident caught on video is raising questions tonight about the regulations governing fishing boats and ferry traffic off the B.C. coast. The Queen of Alberni was traveling between Duke Point and the mainland when it snagged a fishnet and dragged a boat behind it. Catherine Urquhart reports. As a ferry leaves Duke Point, it maneuvers around a group of fish boats. An estimated 130 vessels have joined a two-day chum opening. And in a 24-hour period, there have been three incidents where nets have either gotten in the way of or become entangled with a ferry. A passenger recorded this Wednesday night. Uh-oh, cut the net, cut the net. Oh, yeah. oh. It blew me away that the fishermen had no regard whatsoever for their own safety, for the fact that they had fishing nets across the ferry route, that they were blocking ferry traffic. It just blew me away. The Queen of Alberni can be seen pulling the fishing vessel by its net, threatening to capsize it. Fortunately, the net appears to snap. 
BC Ferries says it attempted to warn the fishermen. Yeah, we did try to contact the fishing boat uh, on radio and they didn't respond. Now, whether the radio was in the wheelhouse and the crew might have been on the stern of the vessel trying to uh, handle the nets, I don't know. The ferry was delayed about 20 minutes. Fisheries and Oceans Canada says entanglements like this are unusual, dangerous, and could result in the fishery being cancelled. If we are in a place where we, we can't ensure that we have a safe and orderly fishery, we simply will not have that fishery. It's very concerning, obviously. You know, any time that you have uh, interactions on the water in which, uh, you know, either vessel or personal safety is, is an issue, uh, it's it's obviously of, of a great concern. Transport Canada is now investigating the incidents, and if vessels fail to comply with the Canada Shipping Act, fishers could be fined. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Travelers experienced flight cancellations and delays at Vancouver International Airport this morning. A power outage in the domestic terminal forced the cancellation of flights to Edmonton and Calgary and delayed several more. The power was out for a couple of hours. The international terminal wasn't affected. YVR hasn't said what caused the outage. Well, the tragic sudden death of an SFU student is putting the spotlight on emergency procedures at the university. Some are wondering if SFU policies caused delays in getting help for the student after he suffered a cardiac emergency. Jill Bennett reports. During a midterm archaeology exam in this room, a student in his late 50s went into medical distress. My understanding of the particular incident was at first there was um, uh, the, uh, the instructor noticing that there was uh, some respiratory difficulty. Um, and I think there was some intervening time before it was determined that off-campus services were needed. Raleigh says campus public safety was called at 7.24 p.m. and again at 7.26 as the student deteriorated. Six security members, all with first responder training, were sent to the classroom while security dispatch called 911. Crews used a defibrillator, but the man died. It's quite shocking because like, you'd think it would be more of a bigger deal, like a newsletter or something, to at least like, get the knowledge out. Hearing that the prof had to call security before being able to actually call 911 is a little concerning. Concerns are also being raised on social media by students who say they witnessed the incident but couldn't call for help as phones aren't allowed during exams. They're also questioning why 911 wasn't called immediately. We believe that it's helpful when people call campus security 4500 um, in order to provide some immediate uh, services there nearby. Uh, whenever there is a call uh, that's, uh, that there's a request for an ambulance or for off-campus services, um, our dispatchers are able to actually connect directly with 911. The university says proper protocol was followed, but as with any critical incident on campus, there will be a review to address concerns and clear up any confusion. Jill Bennett, Global News. The evacuation zone has been reduced, but a number of roads in a Langley Industrial Park are still closed. Several roads and businesses in and around the Gloucester Industrial Park were shut down yesterday morning after an ammonia leak at a pet food manufacturing plant. The leak was contained very quickly, but businesses were evacuated as a precaution and the area remained closed through today. Some businesses complaining about the cost of the lengthy closure. Loss of business, significant, and then people can't work, you know, they lose days work, days wages. It's kind of crazy. Yesterday we were let in, 
So I called all of our staff back today to be here this morning, and then we got here, and again, the roadblocks moved back this way. So unfortunately, you know, we're probably fifty dollars to $100,000 a day that we can't stop or can't get back. Emergency response officials say because of the extremely dangerous nature of ammonia, they aren't taking any chances. Well, they are two of the worst traffic bottlenecks in Metro Vancouver, and they become parking lots when there's an accident. The provincial government unveiled changes today aimed at making it easier to clear crashes from the Lionsgate and Ironworkers Memorial Bridges. But as Jordan Armstrong reports, there are some doubts as to whether these changes will really make a difference. Ask anyone on the North Shore and they'll tell you getting to and from the region is always a hassle. Busy, busy. A lot more people, a lot more cars. The Ironworkers Bridge is at capacity, and with that much more volume, collisions happen that much more frequently. Three or four times a week, a simple fender bender can add hours to everyone's commute. If you're not off the North Shore by 3 p.m., it's a good chance you should have dinner here. But some relief is coming, says the B.C. government. November 1st, Miller-Capilano Highway Services replaces Main Road as the contractor looking after the Lionsgate and Second Narrows. The province won't reveal how much the 10-year contract is worth, but says more tow trucks will be on standby for extended hours. And a large wrecker like this one will always be available to haul away big rigs and buses. The new contract is going to be a huge, uh, a huge benefit to the North Shore. The quicker response time onto the bridge, although it seems like a small step, um, it'll have significant impact. But what about a third North Shore crossing, a bridge, a tunnel, perhaps a gondola across Burrard Inlet? All of that's been talked about for years, but right now the province says none of it is on the table. A third vehicle crossing might reduce travel times temporarily. In the long run, it doesn't actually help the North Shore out. Seeing delays right back into West Vancouver. Every Something that is being contemplated, the idea of changing procedures to allow first responders to, in some cases, call in the tow truck even before police arrive. But that is still being talked about. We need another uh, route to get around. You want a third bridge? Yes. Bottom line, the North Shore congestion pain may ease a bit, but overall, it's still going to hurt. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Got a sister on the North Shore. She says it's worth it. <laughs> I don't know, though. We'll see if those changes make a difference. Hey, Variety Week continues tonight, as you can tell. And we'll be wrapping up with a live broadcast from Robson Street on Friday. But we still need your help tonight. Add your name to that list of donors that you can see at the bottom of the screen and you've been seeing all week. And tonight, Connect Hearing is generously matching the donations made during the news hour. So let's try to help as many kids as we can. This is the best time to make your donation. Call 310KIDS or go online to variety.bc.ca. You can also text the word KIDS to 45678 to make a $20 donation. And again, thanks to Connect Hearing for matching the news hour donations. The city of Vancouver breaking ground on the latest project aimed at easing its affordable housing crisis. The first phase of the River District housing project is billed as the largest co-op housing complex in Western Canada. The 140 units will include studio, one, two and three bedroom homes available to families making between $41,000 and $125,000 a year. 
Now, if you are tired of the high cost of housing in Metro Vancouver, Calgary's mayor is in town to make an offer that might be hard to refuse. Nahed Nenshi is praising his hometown, hoping to poach tech talent that feels priced out of West Coast living. With less than a week until Halloween, there are tales of a tech sector that's about to boom and Calgary's mayor lurking around our local talent. We are here to steal your children. With Calgary Economic Development holding two events here in Vancouver, there might be reason to be afraid. One of the challenges Vancouver is seeing is the cost of living is high, the war for talent is relentless, which leads to a lot of wage inflation, but it also means it's hard to retain your staff. Nenshi telling BC employers and potential employees that Calgary could be safer ground. The affordability inside of here is becoming a lot more of an issue, especially for, for newcomers in the industry. They're coming here to, uh, again, like do a pitch to all the companies here in Vancouver. So, uh, yeah, you got to watch out. While Vancouver's outgoing mayor is putting on a brave face when it comes to a high-tech sector that's become an established hub. Good luck. People live in Vancouver because it's a great city to live in, and we have extraordinary success right now in our, our tech community. The real tension is building between Mayor Nenshi and BC's Premier. If the Mayor of Calgary wants to come and try and poach people, I think that speaks to a lack of a, an economic development strategy at home. And if the Premier feels that issues of housing unaffordability, um, issues of quality life and congestion in Vancouver are not issues people are talking about, he might want to chat with some more people. Those within the tech sector say poaching talent is just part of the game. Every city in North America that has tech right now is desperately trying to find talent anywhere they can. And Vancouver needs to make sure it's paying attention to the needs of its tech talent and not just the needs of its bottom line. Or live with that haunting feeling that some of Vancouver's talent could just disappear. John Hua, Global News. Listen to Jeremy. <laughs> we'll thank you for it. Now, for the first time in 13 years, U.S. government scientists looked at the threat posed by volcanoes across the country, and the results are a little troubling. They say a number of volcanoes in Washington state are at a very high threat level. One of them you can see from here on a clear day. Our report is from King 5 News. If you were born on or before May 18, 1980, the eruption of Mount St. Helens happened during your lifetime. 57 people died, much of eastern Washington blanketed with abrasive, unhealthy ash. Glaciers melted, sending torrents of muddy water racing down nearby rivers. St. Helens is a stratovolcano, and it exploded with massive force. Even today, St. Helens is considered the second most dangerous volcano in America. The most dangerous, Hawaii's Kilauea, which erupted just this spring. It didn't explode, but unleashed rivers of lava. But it's considered more dangerous than St. Helens in part because more people live on its flanks. Those rankings appear in the just-released update to the National Volcanic Threat Assessment from the U.S. Geological Survey. And this afternoon, via a telephone hookup with all five of the nation's volcano observatories, we heard from the authors and lead scientists. How frequently the volcano erupts. John Ewart is lead author based at the Cascades Volcano Observatory in Vancouver. How are the volcanoes ranked? One consideration, the threat to aviation that can extend out for thousands of miles. If ingested, volcanic ash can shut down jet engines. 161 volcanoes broken down into three categories. The volcanoes in red, very high risk. Orange is a less than comforting high risk. Where do Washington's volcanoes rank? 
Mount Baker, threat level very high, ranking 14th. Glacier Peak, threat level very high, 15th. Mount Rainier, threat level very high, ranking third highest. Mount St. Helens, very high, ranking second highest. Mount Adams, threat level just high, ranking 34th. Adding in Mount Hood, south of the Columbia River in Oregon, threat level very high, ranking 6th. Well, there have been a lot of impatient calls to get ride-sharing going here in B.C., but a new study may have you thinking twice about the hailing service. Yeah, it suggests there's a spike in deadly crashes in cities where Lyft and Uber have been cleared to operate. Ride-hailing is a popular, if controversial, business around the world and here in Canada. Toronto finally allowed companies like Uber and Lyft to operate legally in 2016 after a bitter battle with the taxi industry. We've changed the way people get around. But now researchers are revealing something about ride-hailing that hasn't been talked about. They say that in U.S. cities where ride-hailing is permitted... Accident rates grow along with it. And this is an effect that's persistent even three, four, five years out for um, the cities that adopted ride-sharing earlier. Analyzing government transportation data, the researchers say there's been an increase in accidents involving a fatality of between 2% and 4% each year. There are roughly 2 million U.S. drivers on the road offering these services. Study authors aren't blaming them specifically, it's the effect of all those cars on the road. Drivers driving around between fares, more people driving in cars than would have in the past because now they take an Uber or Lyft instead of public transportation. That's putting a lot of cars on the road. And that is what our research is suggesting is driving this accident rate. The two biggest companies quickly dismissed the findings. Uber telling Global News, our data science team reviewed this report and found it to be deeply flawed. Lyft used similar terminology, citing problematic methodology and unjustified conclusions. But for Cheryl Hawks, whose son was killed during a ride to the Toronto airport in the back of an Uber earlier this year, ride-hailing rules need to change. My son was like almost like a, a textbook case of all the things that are wrong with ride-sharing in this city. The new study will now be peer-reviewed by other academics, a process that could take three years. The author says they couldn't wait to release it because safety is at stake. Sean O'Shea, Global News. Traffic is in fantastic shape over here at the Massey Tunnel. Counterflow is out two lanes north, two lanes south, no delays either way. With Kermac Collision Instant Access, just drop in, even on Saturdays. No appointment, no delays. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, when you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Breaking news for you out of New York at this hour, where parts of the Time Warner building have been evacuated for the second time this week. The NYPD bomb squad apparently examining a bag or bags that were found in the building. Now, police say they don't match the bomb packages sent to CNN earlier this week, but they are not taking any chances. Meantime, the hunt continues for whoever sent bomb packages to that network and a number of Donald Trump critics as two more famous faces learned they were also intended targets. Investigators are following up on several leads based on how the suspicious packages moved through the mail system, with the trail leading police to South Florida. 
Early this morning, New York police hauled away an eighth package similar to all the others addressed to actor Robert De Niro and delivered to the building where his restaurant is located. Then two more found in postal facilities in Delaware, both addressed to former Vice President Joe Biden. That brings the number of virtually identical packages to 10, with two of them addressed to Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Investigators say they now believe all were sent through the mail, including the one found yesterday that was delivered by courier to CNN's Manhattan headquarters, but mailed to an off-site screening facility. Officials say some were postmarked. That's important evidence suggesting that at least some may have been mailed from the same state, Florida. Investigators are now working to narrow down which post office there was the first to handle them, looking tonight at a mail facility north of Miami. At the FBI lab outside Washington, an evidence windfall, because it's extremely unusual to have so many intact devices in a bombing investigation. Only one found Monday in the mailbox of George Soros was damaged. Police conducted a controlled detonation to render that one safe. Investigators say all found so far appear to be made with one-inch diameter PVC plastic pipe like this, capped at the ends and filled with explosive powder. Broken glass was added to act as shrapnel. Taped to the side, an electrical circuit, apparently a timer, though its exact function isn't yet understood. Nor is it clear what was supposed to set the packages off. Officials say they found no wires attached to the envelopes, for example, that would trigger the bombs when the packages were opened. None of the bombs have gone off, and investigators say they now believe some could not have exploded. But it's unknown tonight if they were made to be convincing hoaxes to cause fear or if the bomb maker's design was simply flawed. But first responders are treating them all as potentially dangerous. We have to treat them as as uh, live devices. Uh, This is a protocol that our bomb squad people use and it keeps everybody safe. FBI lab analysts are now taking the bombs apart bit by bit. Everything that went into them is a potential clue. Surveillance footage out of southeast Turkey has captured a heart-stopping moment. Two women, a doctor and a nurse, are seen on the video walking on a sidewalk when the ground suddenly collapses under their feet and they disappear into the cloud of dust. Bystanders rush to their aid, helping to pull debris off them and get them to safety. Remarkably, they escape with just minor injuries. The cause of the collapse is under investigation. And amazing pictures out of Tennessee of a near-death experience for two people in a truck. The local sheriff's office posted these pictures on its Facebook page. The driver told police he swerved to miss a deer and ran off the road into a fence. One of the fence posts slammed through the windshield right between the driver and passenger. Neither was injured. Well, it can be one of the cruelest realities for parents of special needs children, knowing they'll outlive their child. When the outcome is inevitable, Variety, the children's charity, steps in to make sure families make the most of the time they have. We often say when when he was first diagnosed, A part of him died that day. A part of our expectations for him, our hope for him, died. Heston has San Filippo syndrome, an extremely rare genetic condition, which was diagnosed when he was three years old. It's not curable, and the average life expectancy is 10 to 12 years. Heston is eight. It's been hard watching him lose his walking, as um, now he's just confined to a wheelchair. It was hard watching him lose his eating because he used to love to eat. It's hard to see your child lose something that they um, really enjoy. Heston, Heston. 
Time is one of the few precious things Heston's family has left, and even that's disappearing. Variety has provided continual support for Heston throughout his young life. A van conversion has ensured that transportation and mobility is easier for this family of seven. And an adaptive stroller has helped to enrich Heston's experiences with friends and family. It's just such peace of mind to know that um, there is a charity like that that we can count on. And Variety has been there for us mm -hmm. over and over again. And now, through your donations, Variety is helping the young family again with items essential to Heston's health and happiness. A mattress topper will keep him cool and comfortable at night as his body cannot regulate temperatures and a track system built into the ceiling will help move Heston into the family's living room. Heston's 67 pounds and so he's getting very heavy. We like Heston to be a part of our family and a part of our lives and so to be able to put a track that we can put the lift in the living room is really great. Heston may not survive past 12 years old, but with the help of Variety and your generous donations, Heston can be comfortable and his family can enjoy every minute with their son. We want our boys to, to have happy memories with him. We don't want it to be just a sad existence around him. And we want them just to, to remember fondly his life and, and just to continue to learn. He teaches all of us teaches us incredible things every day yeah every day and you can help families like heston's who have a child struggling with a terminal condition help to keep them comfortable and make memories that will last forever if you'd like to donate to variety call 310 kids or text kids to 45678 for an automatic 20 dollar donation do it as often as you like you can also visit variety.bc.ca. Pretty cool name for that kid, too. Heston. Heston. It's awesome. Yeah. The streets surrounding a landmark skyscraper in the heart of London closed for hours. We'll show you the focus of police attention coming up a little later after the forecast with Christy. Looking up quizzically. Hmm, what's going on there? You, I know you both hate spiders, yeah. but you're going to want to stick around for that story. I'm just saying. Huh. All right. I don't know how hint. I feel about that. I know, exactly. <laughs> look away, mm. look away. Okay, Christy, what do you have for us? A spooky tower cam shot is what I have for you. Look at that. Oh. Yeah, that's perfect for Halloween. We are officially only six days away from it. I had to tell you guys, but I'm sure there's kids at home who are like, we knew that. We've been counting down the days. Yes, yeah, six days to Halloween. Great shot from Galliano Island. Thanks to Deborah McKechnie for that one. I love seeing the uh, spider webs like that in a picture, not, not in person. Yeah, right? Without the spider. <laughs> uh, so uh, rain today and winds. We saw a gusty winds along the Strait of Georgia up to about 60 kilometers an hour. A few isolated areas even stronger than that. But right now, the focus of the stronger winds are going to be across the north coast. So some areas seen 80 kilometers an hour already, but they are going to pick up overnight tonight and continue through the morning hours at the very least tomorrow, uh, but potentially throughout the day. So along the coast up to 100 kilometers an hour, but most of these areas could see gusts up to 80. So we could see power outages. Certainly be aware of that as this uh, low pressure center tracks towards the north coast as we speak. Uh, so by the overnight hours, they'll feel the effects of it. And then it will cross across northern parts of the province, infecting the central interior regions as well through the day tomorrow. And that's why we'll see those really 
strong winds is because of this L here. Down across the south, so rain overnight tonight through much of our day tomorrow, but this time period or time code is at 6 p.m. and uh, we're going to be in Robson Square tomorrow evening right at 6 p.m. We're hoping for, yes, this, a nice break towards the end of the day. We're hoping that that system or the rain pushes on and we start to see that clearing, but the timing will be a bit of an issue. At the very least, your Saturday is looking good, everyone. We will still see some cloud, but at least it will be dry. Across the north, so wind and rain, that extends into the central interior along with a risk of thunderstorms for you. Across the south, we will see rain. Some breaks in through the interior regions here, but picking up again in the Columbia and the Kootenai region and for our area, those breaks of sunshine are towards the end of the day. If you're on Vancouver Island, you have a better chance of seeing them. We're keeping our fingers crossed for the lower mainland. Saturday looking dry, back to rain though on Sunday, and I'll leave you with this shot from northwestern BC. This is Cedarvale, Seven Sisters Mountain Range. Great shot, Bob. Thanks for that. It really is. Thank you very much, Christy. All right. Uh, the notorious French Spider-Man, see, nothing to be worried about, has struck again, this time much to the chagrin of London police. Urban climber Alain Robert decided to scale one of the city's tallest buildings today. He climbed the 202-meter Heron Tower without ropes or safety gear. That forced officers to cordon off the 46-story building, close roads, and usher spectators away. Yikes. The 56-year-old has climbed many of the world's tallest structures, almost always without harnesses and often without permission. He was arrested for causing a public nuisance for today's stunt. And to a safer but no less spectacular climb, drone video shows the perspective of climbers tackling Excalibur in the, North, uh, in the Netherlands. Sorry, It's the tallest freestanding climbing wall in the world at 37 oh, wow. meters or more than 121 feet tall. Now, because of the curve built into the design, the tower often rises into the clouds, forming an extreme overhang that resembles what climbers might find on a real peak. That I'm is freaky. really okay with heights, but that does not feel comfortable <laughs> oh to me. Thank God. Not when you first showed the video, I thought, wow, that guy's climbing the biggest block of cheese it ever made. Cheese. Yeah. It's 60 feet high in it's that Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel? We can do it. We can handle okay. it. I don't know if Squire can, but we're going to. Nope. I'll watch you guys. I'll take photos <laughs> from the ground. ground. Yep. I'll film you. Hey, uh, one thing we know for sure. There is no way Alex Edler or Chris Tanev will get through a whole season without getting hurt. Call it the Sammy Sallow syndrome. Both were hurt last night. Both won't play this evening against Arizona. Now, when Tanev becomes healthy again, I know I've said this before, the Canucks really have to think about trading him. Not because he's a bad player, because he's a good player. And he can bring them something back. A young player with future. But I digress. Also not playing tonight will be Besser and Pedersen again. Sven Berchi is also out, so Michael Delzotto, Alex Piega, Darren Archibald, they all get the suit up against the Coyotes. Actually, last night, there were three injuries against Vegas. As we all know, all of us who have been to Vegas, that city can take a toll on its visitors, although usually it's just hangovers and empty wallets. Last night it was different. Edler, he's going to have an MRI after getting hit by Max Pacioretty. Uh, Berchi, that put him in concussion protocol. And Tanev, have we said this before, hit with a puck. And he is out day to day. Now, despite those injuries, the Canucks did win in a shootout, and they're first in the Pacific. 
That's like having a unicorn show up in your backyard. That's how surprising this is. They won last night mainly because of Bo Horvat, an A-plus effort that deserves a C on his chest. He will be the captain next year. This year he's one of the A's. But it's not the two goals from Horvat that was most impressive last night. It was what he did in overtime. This play here. Because if he didn't do this, the Knights might have gotten the two points, not the Canucks. Watch him catch up and make the play on Jonathan Marchessault. One more look. And the great thing about this, didn't take a penalty. That stick on puck. Perfect defense by Bo Horvat. Extra effort. Okay, while the Canucks wait for Thatcher, Demko, and Michael DiPietro to be NHL-ready, they'll continue with their Swedish stoppers, Jacob Markstrom and Anders Nilsson. And with the injuries to players like Patterson and Besser, that means the Canucks are not going to score as many goals. So the goalies become even more important than normal. This year, they are working with a new coach, and Ian Clark. New to them, but not new to the Canucks. He is back after eight years in Columbus, and so far... Things are starting better with the goalies than they ended last season. One of Travis Green's goals this season was to avoid moments like this. And to help facilitate that, the Canucks brought back goalie guru Ian Clark, whose job it is to make not just Nilsson, but Markstrom better as well. I'd rather have two number one guys than a number one and a number two. Among the goalies Clark has worked with, Roberto Luongo when he was in Vancouver. He also made Sergei Bobrovsky a Vezina Trophy winner in Columbus. I mean, Clark, he's been around a long time. He's, he's a good goalie coach. You know, I think he's one of the better goalie coaches around. Uh, I'm not going to get into it as far as technically, because as, to be honest, I don't know about the technical side of goaltending. I know, I'll say it again, I like it when they stop the puck, and I'm not as thrilled when they don't. William Carlson must score. Stopped by Markstrom and the Canucks yes. win. A lot of new things in the movement. It's, uh, uh, you know, arriving in position. So it's a lot of trying to make the game slower to me and, you know, and so, I, so I don't chase it. We've changed, uh, changed a lot of minor things. Uh, working a lot of uh, my stance, uh, preparational stance before the save. Uh, uh, he changed to, he wanted me to have a little higher stance this, uh, this season, so I was working a lot of that throughout the offseason, the summer and offseason. Nilsson has had a good start to this season, and while he credits Ian Clark for helping him, it really has been subtle changes. It's not like Clark told Nilsson the secret of great goaltending. Uh, I mean, it's, it's no, no really, it's no magic. Uh, it's, it's not a lot of secrets, but it's, uh, it's, uh, he's a really good goal coach, and he's, uh, he pushes you every day. Uh, he wants you to work hard and he believes in hard work. And uh, it's, uh, that's something that we work on every single day. Now the other night we showed you Sidney Crosby scoring a great overtime goal against the Oilers. Now they're down in Calgary. Look at the backhand here by Sid the Kid. Well, I guess he's not a kid anymore. Well, it depends who you're talking to. I mean, you're always younger than people who are older than you. Anyway, one nothing. Thank you very much. It is very deep. I don't like to get too deep too often. Oh! Can you guess who won the White Cats Player of the Year award? It's easy. The answer is Alfonso Davies. Uh, he was the choice of the fans. Improved his game all year, clearly building up to joining Bayern Munich in January. And his final game as a White Cap will be Sunday at BC Place. Uh, my emotions right now are all over the place. I don't know what to think. I think after the game, that's when it's going to really set in with me leaving. But... I think right now I'm just trying to enjoy the moment as much as possible. 
um, during my final days at Vancouver. Have you had much contact with Bayern over the last few months? Yeah, um, talked to uh, some of their scouts, um, you know, but they're putting a, a together a plan when I should go down there, but I'm not really sure yet. There you go. He'll probably get a standing O, I'm imagining, at the end of the game. Well, you he, you know, he's been their best player all year, and yeah. this guy is still a young man. Yeah. Very young. Was he, like, 18 or something? 17, 18, yeah. Yeah, a lot of upside. A lot of upside. I will check. I never know anybody's age. I barely know my age. <laughs> I think I'm still in my 30s, actually. I you know look like age. it. I'm not telling you, though. Really? <laughs> so don't tell me. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Ann Drew now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. With British Columbians set to vote in a referendum on electoral reform in the coming weeks, a group supporting one of the options is holding an event in downtown this evening. We'll have highlights on that. And in Winnipeg tonight, a dramatic end to an armed standoff. It happened at a beer store. The suspect taking off after being hit with a non-lethal weapon fired by police. We'll have more on this developing story and the rest of the day's news when you join us at 11 o'clock. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks, Ann. Okay. He's 17. He'll be 18 on November 2nd, so you still have time Alfonso to get him a Alfonso Davies. Yeah. Okay. 17. Okay, thank you, Squire. Next week he'll be 18. Yeah. Okay. Well, what could be the home of the future has just finished construction on Vancouver Island. We'll take a tour right after a break. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia. Yeah, last weekend of October, and it's not just about Halloween. For instance, we've got the Vancouver Baby and Family Fair this weekend. Expect a huge selection of exhibitors, hands-on demos, and shows that'll teach the toddlers and prep the parents. Also for the wee ones, consider the haunted farm in Surrey. It's sweet, just a touch spooky, fun and safe for the whole fam. Bring the kids in costume for a scavenger hunt, crafts and treats. For a more hair-raising experience, get into the spooky spirit at the Halloween Carnival and Ghostly Graveyard in Vancouver. Dress up and enjoy creepy crafts, terrifying treats and eerie entertainment. Does your family love the gumboot kids? Well, Saturday, you can see them live and join in on the singing, dancing, and family fun. The capital becomes Wicked Victoria this weekend, and Government Street is now Boo Boulevard. Sunday, dress up and head to the Harvest Market for Halloween fun for all. For more, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. It was nicknamed the Lego House. Construction is complete, finally, on Vancouver Island on what could be the home of the future. Kylie Stanton has a NewsHour update on this unique project with a spectacular view. Welcome to the harmless home. He's become a professional when it comes to giving tours, the living room, dining room, kitchen. This is our greenhouse room. And then the added features. To grow greens and fruit. But what really sets this eco-friendly home apart is what you can't see. This is biofiber wall. The walls are constructed entirely out of Lego-like building blocks, made up essentially of hemp, lime and water. We are very happy with the end, end result. We put these on the outside. We first showed you the project as it was getting underway about a year ago. Pretty straightforward. One by one, blocks were stacked and secured, finally coming together, making the structure the first of its kind. Now it's being hailed as the most sustainable, safest, most energy efficient, and least toxic home possible. And it's ready to take off. 
with those aspects and the condition that the world is in now, this has to go. It, it just has to. The product itself is being manufactured in Calgary. It doesn't mold and is virtually fire resistant. Very unlikely for this house to catch fire, yes. On top of that, it absorbs carbon, making the blocks even stronger over time. As for the cost, it's in line with other alternatives. And with two more projects already underway, the hope is to make this a standard in the industry. So far, we've, we've seen that it is easy to use and put together. And so I think once we uh, develop and, and really dial in the system, that we'll be able to be competitive with all other building systems out there. Air breathes through. The home will continue to be monitored to make sure it's operating as efficiently as possible and make improvements where necessary. The front of the house. But looking back, there are no regrets. The risk has been well worth the reward. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Souk. I feel like there should be Lego men in there. <laughs> and yeah. multiple colored bricks. Right. Some red, some yellow. Just think, if Godzilla existed and he stepped in that house, that would hurt like hell. <laughs> you ever stepped on those Lego oh, yeah, pieces? That's oh, yeah. yeah, I always do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, hey, quickly, before we go, let's update our Variety Week kid count total. Thanks to your generous donations, wow. Variety will be able to help 190 kids. We want to get to 200 kids before the end of the news hour. I know you can do it. Call 310 Kids now. Make a difference to a kid with special needs. And uh, don't forget that we are matching the donations during the news hour. So get it in the last 10 seconds. Big wrap party tomorrow. We're doing the show live from Robson Square, noon to 7 p.m. Come on down for a ride. Make a donation to Variety. Oh, it's green down at BC Place. World Dwarfism Day, if you were curious.